Stanley, we're we're back again with uh, an episode this week with my friend and college soccer teammate Aaron West. Pretty pretty fun conversation. Yeah, I really enjoy getting to know him. Obviously, I didn't know him beforehand. Um, it was also a nice turn of topic. I think uh, I don't think we've just we had really discussed sports yet, and so given that soccer is a big part of his life, um, it was nice to kind of get to hear his story. Soccer basically is his life, which we'll talk about, but it's permeated his his interests, his his hobbies, his uh, relationship, his marriage, now his career. It's it's pretty astonishing that he's essentially built his life around soccer, and it was fun to, fun to talk to him about it because I think so much of growing up, you know, parents and adults tell you, oh, find something you're passionate about. And then a lot of people kind of lose that. And Aaron is one person who I think has done an amazing job of actually doubling down on that and, and building a, a pretty cool path for himself. Yeah, and he really, I think, took multiple attempts at it too, right? Or he has multiple, multiple different perspectives. So whether it's journalism, whether it's as a player, whether it's as a, a coach, um, you know, I think he was always kind of revolving or orbiting around around it. Yeah, and... I mean, he's he's got some some fun quirks and, and uh, interesting tidbits to his background as well. That we talk about his interest in fashion and flashiness, his his homeschool career ahead of going going to college at, at Davidson. So there, there's a lot here, but especially this is definitely an episode for 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 soccer fans for sure. With that, let's get to our conversation with Aaron West. And there's a clip that is still on the internet of Phil Potent making the absolute hell out of me. The, the, the Aaron West open book. I love it. Um, well, usually we start, Stanley counts us down like we have like a fake, uh, like a director's. Like clapboard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's great. I had to, I got, I used one of those for the, or I had was on a set where they used one of those for the first time, like, uh, I guess it was towards the end of last year. I have no, no concept of time, like <laughs> no concept of time. Uh, it was for an interview with Lewandowski and I don't remember at what point, I think it was in last year. Yeah, seems about right. I mean, but yeah, like, they used the clapboard. I was like, oh shit, that's so cool. <laughs> like, oh wow, I'm, re- I'm really doing this now. Yeah, like, oh, this is real TV. <laughs> <laughs> I want to, like, see, we're already getting into it. So maybe we should just keep going, keep going from here. I was like, I want to ask you about, like, all, all this stuff, not just, like, the players, but also just, like, I mean, I feel like you've had, like, such a journey from literally just being, like, a shit talker on Twitter to, like, now you're sitting in rooms with literally your favorite soccer players that exist. So it's been, yeah, it's, it's been, a, it has been a crazy ride. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe we should just get into it. Maybe we've, we've gone past the, the time of a Stanley, Stanley clap. Um, that's fine. I, I dig it. I'm um, sorry we cut you out, Stanley. <laughs> by the way, at the, at the end, um, Stanley will have like a quick, sort of like quick hitting section to sort of just like close it, close us out more or less. Um, cool. Cool. Um, so wanted to start actually just with you more personally rather than professionally. I, one of the things that I think is 
just really interesting about you is how you love to be flashy and, you know, the sneakers you rock, the clothes you wear, et cetera. And I kind of just wanted to start there to understand more about where that started and, and where it comes from. It's probably 99.9% my mom. Uh, my mom like raised us to always like dress well. Like she like never will step out of the house without everything like perfectly, like everything in place. My parents are pastors. Uh, and so like, she always felt it was very important, like especially like both being pastors, like her personality, she's like type A to the most extreme. Um, and just like us being like young black men, my brother and I, she was like, every time you step out of the house, you have to present yourself to like your, your, the first thing you see is, is your, like how you're dressed, number one. Um, so she was like, if she always made sure we were really well dressed, like my mom dressed us like super preppy when I was younger. Um, and like, I used to not care about clothes at all, like probably until like, I would say eighth grade or so. I, I honestly didn't care. I just wear soccer stuff and then whatever my mom made me wear. Um, and then I got a little bit older. I started caring about like, I, I'd see like, it started with sneakers really with me. Like, uh, I saw Sambas and I was like, I want those so bad. <laughs> I just like, I saw them and I wanted them. Um, and then I saw like, um, Adidas response trails. And I was like, I want those so bad. Those are so cool to me. Uh, so it just, it started with my mom. And for me, just uh, like dressing has always kind of just been an art form. I'm just, I, I love art of all, all kinds. And the art of like pre presenting yourself the way you want to be seen uh, has always been something that's important to me. And then just as I got older and just, I've always been interested in how people dress. Like you, like across the world, you have to wear some sort of clothes probably. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then there's like infinite choices after that. So I've just been fascinated with that. So it's just the art of presentation and just how you express yourself through clothing has always been super important and just fun for me. I love, I love it. And how do you think about is there a an effect of that for you now that obviously your mom's not dressing you anymore what what is the effect for you of putting something an outfit together or some sneakers together with an outfit that you're just really feeling yourself what is that what is i that like mean? don't feel confident fully confident if i'm not like wearing something that i'm uncomfortable with i like i remember very vividly it's like probably like my creation story is like my mom sent us to like it was it was like a big it was some big church convention it was like a big i knew there were going to be sports there um and but my mom was like you're gonna dress well you're gonna dress well um so i had to, i wore like a collared shirt some khakis or something like that um but we showed up and everyone was in athletic gear and like i was like it, it crushed me. I was, I was like, I'm not, I feel like such a nerd. I was, I was homeschooled growing all, all growing up as well. So like, I was like, I always wanted to make sure I wasn't like at least looking like the homeschool kid. I was so upset that day. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's like, it's a, it, for me, it's a big confidence boost. I don't have, I don't own any clothes that I don't look good in now. <laughs> but like when you, when you don't have money or you don't have like a lot of access to um, be able to like dress the way you want all the time. It's like very important to be able to curate what you do have and like make it look as cool as possible. So that was always a, a really cool, just working within whatever budget I had was always a fun thing for me. Give, give yourself a little extra bounce no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about being, being homeschooled. I, I met you in college at Davidson, obviously, but 
I'm curious what that experience was like. It was like, it felt very normal for me because um, I, my parents were pastors. So I was always around like church kids. I had an older brother. Um, I like played with neighborhood kids all the time. I played soccer from the time I was forced. I played basketball. I ran track. So I was like literally always around other people. And like, I'm just a person. I, I like people in general, well, not as much now, but <laughs> I'm always, I was going to say, I feel like, them. I feel like you've taken a turn in the last few years, but, but hey. yeah, I, uh, we'll talk about that. But um, no, I just like, I, I wanted to be like I was always not even just wanted to be I was always doing stuff and around people so I didn't feel like I lacked like personal interactions or like I, I felt I didn't feel like awkward around other people like often like the homeschool stereotype and reality is like a lot a lot of homeschool kids are like very, very secluded and don't really get a lot of interaction but like between sports church um I did a lot of classes outside of the home like we, we took correspondence courses. We took, I took some classes at UNC when I was in high school. Um, I did like a, just a, I was constantly doing stuff um, and being around people. So it never felt weird to, for me in that respect. And then just from the learning perspective specifically, I loved it. Cause like, I just got to go at my own pace. Um, I did, we did correspondence courses. Um, there's like, there was a curriculum I did from like first through eighth grade just called Calvert. That was like a pretty established one. All the basics, like uh, math, algebra, all the like normal basics. I took like standardized tests to make sure I wasn't like, I was well ahead in everything. Um, in high school, then I switched, my mom switched us to, or there was a high school curriculum that was called University of Nebraska Lincoln, which was like an advanced like college preparatory curriculum. So I took all the like AP biologies, all that, did like some online courses. So in terms of schooling, I felt like I was getting a good basis, um, but also got to go at my own pace. Like I, from a very early age, was like a speed reader. So I could, I would just like fly through books. So my mom like really quickly learned she wasn't going to be able to keep up with me. So she'd like literally just give me the books. Let me read them. Like give me the test. If I did all right, just keep going. And I would just like fly through everything. I skipped second grade. Um, I actually, I went to Davidson. I got into Davidson when I was 16, but I talked to Spear and it just made sense for me to like stay back a year. Cause I was at that point, I think like five, five, I came in at five, seven, <laughs> but like I, I got into Davidson at 16, like just stayed and played another year club soccer, like took some more courses and then came in at 17. Uh, but yeah, I just like it in terms of schooling and just my preference for life, I would, I would be done with school by like 12 every day. Cause I just fly, my mom was like, if you finish it, you're done. So I would just fly through everything and then just go play soccer, go play basketball, like go literally sit in a tree and read books. Like it was a, a fantastic childhood. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. And Matt Spear, our, our college coach, it's funny to me to think of him telling you not to come like Aaron actually don't come yet. <laughs> it, like it just like my talk to my club coach. Cause I was, I had verbally committed to Duke. Um, and he like he advised that I stay another year just to like literally grow both as a, a physically and as a human being. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I couldn't go to Duke. I, I realized that one day I like I looked in the mirror. My, my dad, so just a little background on that. My dad, both my parents um, are from North Carolina. My dad went to UNC undergrad and, and um, for his master's. My mom went to UNCG for her on undergrad and got her master's at UNC. And that's where they met. But my dad ran track at UNC 
He was the first black head coach in the ACC at UNC uh, for track. Um, I was going to say, he's he's a legend at UNC, right? He is. He is Chapel Hill royalty. <laughs> um, so I like uh, UNC recruits like every North Carolina athlete ever. But I like a new number one. I was never going to UNC because it was five minutes from uh, <clears throat> five minutes from my parents house. I knew my mom would like be the type to like show up on my door randomly. Um, I didn't want that in my life. I needed at least like a little bit of a buffer where they had to call before they got to me. That like, so Duke was the best fit for me soccer wise. Um, my, their head coach, John Rennie was like my mentor growing up for our club soccer team. Their assistant coach was my head coach for club. Um, there was like a plan for me to go, but stubbornness and like hatred for Duke kept me from going. I number one, like I did not want to be a left back. I knew like I would 100% be turned into a left back there. I, like in my head, I wanted to be a striker so bad. I want to be a, at least a winger. I like felt like I was an attacking player. I did not want to be a left back. Retrospect would have been the best decision ever because I would have been a great left back. <laughs> but uh, I didn't want to go be a left back. I didn't want to play for, the third thing is, I didn't want to play for my club coach there. I didn't really like him that much. Uh, so I wanted to go somewhere else. And like one day, I literally, even after having like verbally committed to go, because I knew it was good for me soccer wise, I just looked in the mirror. I was like, I, I, I cannot see myself wearing Duke blue. Like I literally cannot like look in the mirror and see myself wearing a shirt that says Duke on it. It like disgusted me. So I was like, I can't do it. I, uh, I like went early decision to Davidson. I like, I, I couldn't do it. My dad had given his blessing. He's like the type of person where he was like, I won't wear the shirt, but I will be in the stands cheering for you every game. But uh, that's, pretty, that's, yeah, pretty, that's a pretty big step, you know, on, on its own. Oh, on, oh, yeah. My dad is like the most supportive person ever. Like wherever I went, um, he, he was he was good for it. Um, I, I did have to restrict my choices to the East Coast, though, because my mom was like, you're you're not going to Columbia. <laughs> like I was I was like super into the idea of Columbia. But as soon as that call came, she was like, no, you're not going to New York. Uh, as soon as the call from Stanford came, she was like, no, you're not going to Columbia. <laughs> So those got like wiped out very, very early. Uh, so it like had to be East Coast. It had to be like relatively close. Uh, Wake was like very tenuous interest. It was like kind of like a, a talk. Maybe you'll come for a visit. I was like, all right, I'm never, I will maybe play there my junior year, maybe my senior year. So Wake was off the board. Um, but Davidson, I, I walked on campus. My brother had already been there. I'd been there with him like a couple years before because he, he was an engineer. And he looked at Davidson, but Davidson's program is a 3-2 program. So you stay three years there and then go to another school like a Clemson or an NC State and finish it out. And he was like, if I come, I'm not going to want to leave all my friends after three years and go to another school. Why would I do that? And also NC State like specializes in engineering. So he went there, but I fell in love with the campus, um, came on my visit, met like a couple of the guys, uh, like Naum, Naum Navas, like Bart Creaseman. Marco Antunes and like just fell in love with the vibe of the team um, and was like, all right, this is where I'm going to go. Absolutely. I did early decision. N didn't have any regrets in that regard. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it was very, very wild. <laughs> yeah, sounds it. I actually wanted you sort of jumped ahead in your in your soccer story, but I wanted to actually go back to you it sounds like sort of in that free time from being homeschooled was where you just had 
ample opportunity to try any sport and get into anything. But I wanted to just hear from you how you got excited about soccer and how that passion started to develop. Yeah, when I was uh, three years old, my mom's best friend, who since passed, but she rest in peace, introduced us to the sport. Um, she was in Chapel Hill. So her, she had, who was my best friend at the time, a, a son who was like a year younger than me, or like, yeah, he's like a, a year younger than me. And he and an older son who was like three years older than me, two years older than me. So she, like, they knew about soccer and introduced this to us. And their, what they had was, IX highlight tapes like and I, like I would go over to their house um we'd watch IX highlight tapes I'd like play soccer in the backyard and these I, are like, like old we're like, talking like old VHS tapes of like Johan Cruyff or like, whoever yeah like the the like 90 they had like relatively like new highlight tapes like from like recent seasons so I got to see like Edgar Davids like Clarence Sato or Patrick Fiverr like young in their prime like and fell in love with Ajax, just fell in love with the sport, like, in general. As soon as I saw soccer, I was in love. Like, I just wanted to dribble a soccer ball around. I wanted to do, like, just wanted to play soccer. Uh, I love, I, like, still loved all the other sports, but soccer was, like, I just immediately, it was, like, actually love at first sight. That's awesome. And then how did that start to develop from, oh, my God, this is amazing, and I love these young legends, Seydorf, Clivert, Davids, whoever, um, into this is something that I know that I want to pursue seriously and play in college and, you know, sort of progress. And, and yeah. how did, I guess, how did you start to take it seriously is, is my question. Um, I think my, like when I was, I was, I was very good from a young age. I was always playing up. I was always playing like train. I would always practice with my brother's team. Like, when I was three, he started playing organized at six um, and I would go and practice with his brother's team, uh, like with, with his brother's team, with his team, uh, because you couldn't start playing organized till you were four. So by the time I was four, I was like already way more advanced than most kids who like, I'm, I'm in Chatham, North Carolina, like no, no one really played, knew much about soccer and no one really played it, but I just had a natural affinity for it. I was very, very fast. I like was comfortable with the ball from an early age and I could strike the ball. So like from an early age, <clears throat> I was playing up. I was scoring a lot of goals. I was having a lot of fun. When I was, I, I played on like a rec team in Chatham and then like a couple rec teams in Chapel Hill. And then we had like the next step, which was like challenge. Um, it was like more of a select team. Uh, it was called Tsunami. Uh, I was playing with them and just like tearing shit up and, and like this, this uh, select league. Um, and my, our coach, John Cheeseman, I'll never forget it. Like he brought Anson Dorrance to our training one day, uh, like ostensibly to just like talk to the guys, to, to everyone, like give them some pointers. But really like he had brought them to, brought him to see me. And Anson watched me train. He then talked to another coach in the area, Marlo Campbell, um, who they sorry, started in, like this. Anson Dorrance is basically the greatest college soccer coach ever, right? <laughs> he is, yes. He is, is currently the UNC women's soccer coach, the, I think still the winningest soccer coach of all time in college. Um, but he, he was like kind of young, and not young in his career, but he was, it was like earlier on in his career at UNC. John Cheeseman knew him. He brought him to training. Uh, uh, and 
Jensen introduced, introduced, or told this coach, Marlo Campbell, who was like the coach of this Triangle Soccer Academy, which was like this kind of like experimental club that they had just founded in the Raleigh area a year before. So the, the deal with this club was basically it was just, there were only, I think, four teams to start, uh, all boys, like two 11s, two 12s, or something like that. But each team had like a mentor, which was a, an ACC coach. Our mentor was John Rennie, like I mentioned earlier. But I went to, I went to, I get a call. We get this call from Marlo Campbell. He's like, I'm coaching this area. Would love you to come out to a tryout. So we go out to Raleigh. It's like an hour drive for us. I show up to train, but so this uh, this tryout, and the whole like, my whole family comes out. My my mom, my dad, my brother. Um, we show up and like introduce ourselves to Marlo, and he like sees my brother and thinks he's me because he's like heard this kid's amazing, and my brother's like a foot and a half taller than me at this point. <laughs> he's like he looks like super super athletic, and I'm like probably uh, two and a half feet tall. Is at twelve years old. Like what I'm like. Four, four foot nothing like probably 90 pounds I looked like nothing like I like the skinniest smallest kid ever so he like sees my brother and his eyes light up and then my dad's like this is Aaron and he's like oh, okay <laughs> um, but like the tryout starts and I just like I'm scoring goals for fun uh I'm like having the greatest time of my life like this is the highest level I've ever played at this is like the best kids I've ever seen in my life like these are like very good Raleigh kids like um Sam Cronin was like uh, on this team from who played in MLS. Alec, uh, who, who else? There were a couple. Darius Barnes. Darius Barnes was on this team. Um, actually, was not but basically, like Raleigh in this area, future, was, future was, pros. There, there was like yeah, a lot of like very, very good players. Uh, but I'm like, I'm, I was having a great time, like literally just scoring goals for fun. And so, like halfway through the tryout, like Marlo calls me over. And he's like all right, if you do the same thing you're doing today, you're easily on the team. I was like, uh, sorry, if you do the same thing tomorrow that you do, did today, you're easily on the team. So the next day comes, just go scoring goals. Like it's, I'm having a great time. Um, I make the team, the very first game I play, I score like a couple goals. I tied for leading scorer on the team that year. Uh, like select was great, but every time I would go to like state team tryouts, I would just absolutely I don't want to curse but shit the bed like I would have the worst child in my life I'd get pushed around I was so small everyone like I'm an 86 so everyone in 86 was at least a foot taller than me uh this is for like three or four three years running I stopped trying out after the the third year I was like this is just I'm, I'm never gonna make this team um but so my very first state uh, ODP trial I go and like literally I was just so cowed by like the size of these guys a lot of them played in the year they would they played like in 85 so they were like just so much more physical and like I was I was always the fastest kid but I was like somehow these kids are like faster than me they're bigger than me they're stronger than me I would always just play terribly in in the trial so I never made a state nothing, team nothing worked Oh man, I just like, I was in my own head already. I like, that was probably my biggest struggle as a young player was mentally. Like one, uh, as I got a little bit older, it's like, I would, as a striker, I would just score goals for fun. But when I start thinking about it, I'd, I'd be awful. Um, and so it, it got to the point, uh, as I got to like 14, uh, I moved in 
into midfield was playing wide. And then around 15, when it was, it was when it was like, all right, this kid has an incredible left foot, but he can't finish to save his life. He's not a striker. <laughs> uh, and I was like, I was a very tenacious defender. I work hard on both sides of the ball. So it like became very evident that I probably should be a left back. But in my head, I was like, I'm at least a winger. Come, do not put me a left back. Well, I imagine, I imagine that must have been a difficult almost identity crisis for you where you start your young soccer career and you're so much faster than everyone and you're scoring you're you know advanced for your age and you're scoring all these goals and then as you get a little older and things start start to equalize a little bit and people are telling you hey this actually isn't the best position for you but you still have in your head almost those early years of wait no 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 i should be right yeah up here i should be stubbornness pure stubbornness (laughs) right right that's actually something. So I wanted to ask about that a little bit because obviously you sort of progress through, through the ranks, make it to Davidson, you're playing division one soccer. Like what sort of mentality did you have playing and how does that mentality carry into your life now? Um, honestly, I, it, when I got to college, I had no idea what was going on. Like, literally no idea I got to college and my head was like spinning a hundred like 360 I was just I was running around like this was the first time I was in the same place with girls and that I cared about it and with no like unfettered like freedom there was the first time I had pure freedom and I had no idea how to handle it um, I knew that I loved soccer but then I really really, really quickly realized that I did not like the Davidson soccer environment. Uh, It like in a lot of ways, there was like, it was kind of, it was like 50, 50 almost, or I would say even like 33%, like guys really, really, really liked the game and like loved the game and cared about it. And then the rest of the guys, like it felt like just kind of wanted to play soccer in college where it was like good on their resume. And like, I never felt like there was, I never found like, I would say a culture that I like really fit with, like to go out and train very often. And then I hated our training. So it kind of took the love of the game because my only actual soccer experience was like in training. We didn't like, no one played pickup outside of, of, uh, of like actual uh, training itself, like organized training. And so the only soccer I had was either games or in training so it like after a, a year I want to say I like really kind of was in a, a little bit of a darker place soccer wise because I just didn't enjoy it the way I'd always enjoyed it uh like going out and kicking around like no one did that like it, it just felt I didn't I just I, I really didn't enjoy that game in that way so I kind of fell back in enjoying it in other ways like watching it playing video games talking about it with the guys that I knew cared about it Uh, So that's probably what a little bit steered me towards more of the route of, and the fact that I was like constantly injured. So uh, like my body was like, Hey man, maybe this isn't for you. (laughs) So it kind of, kind of pushed me down the path of like off field activities more than anything. Right. Your, your body was giving you the early premonition that maybe you should just stick to talking about soccer. (laughs) So you, you, you finish at Davidson. Um, how did you leave? Did you leave Davidson with a sort of renewed love of the game? Did you, did you find, did you get to tap into that by the time you'd left or where, where were you in your 
no feelings about the game. I hated it when I left. (laughs) I hated it a lot. I didn't like touch a ball for a little while after I left. Um, I did not like like the game on field at all. Uh, My I was constantly injured when I was 15. I, I like cracked a vertebra parent playing with my club team in Holland. And it like, I think that did a bunch towards like future injuries. Um, it's like, I've always had lower back pain. I've always like had trunk issues. If I don't work out and uh, strengthen my abdominal area, like I will constantly have back pain to this day. Uh, but right before my, uh, sorry, my junior year, I tore my groin um, playing against Duke funny story um I tore my groin and it was I think it was in an October and so I tried to play on for a little bit and then just basically was in a spiral of will he get surgery won't he and this decision stretched on until by the time I got surgery it was uh I didn't get to back to running until three weeks before preseason started two weeks. So it went like, it was a whole period where I didn't touch a ball from December until like February or March, actually even beyond that, like just before the season, I, I started to touch a ball after recovering from surgery and I requested a red shirt and that's not, a no-go at Davidson because they want everyone to graduate in four years. So I came into my senior season, like very, very disillusioned, like very unprepared, like both mentally, physically, like I was upset the fact that I had to play so unprepared and it was my last year of college soccer ever. I like it still at that point, I still had kind of dreams of maybe playing at the next level. So I was like going into that season, I hated soccer. I hated my body. <laughs> I hated our coach. I was in a very, very bad place overall. I also like was like, I don't know what I want to do after college in terms of career. Like nothing is cool to know. I don't like anything but soccer. Uh, and right now I hate soccer. So I was, it was not great for me. <laughs> not, a, not a great, not a great moment for, for a young, young Aaron. No. And what, when did, when did it flip for you that your, your love trickled back in and and things so, started to look up like the love for the sport overall never went away it just like on pitch I hated it and was very miserable in what I was doing because I was on a soccer team and couldn't even be on the soccer team really to the full my full potential but I would say the like full love for it kind of came back after I started writing like after I graduated from Davidson I went to work for an education outreach company started by a couple of Davidson grads Phelps Sprinkle um and a couple other folks, but I was working as an intern doing a lot of like research and random stuff, honestly, like we would, we, the company would work with larger corporations to build like educational programs. So I might be doing research on finance. I might be doing research on like education, anything I might be doing research. I, I, we also worked with Anthony Fox's first mayoral campaign. So I was doing like campaign research. So it was literally just random, but I also had a lot of downtime. So I would, I had, a, I would watch soccer all the time and I always had opinions. So uh, uh, Patrick Braxton Andrew, PBA, whose writing I always loved, was like, dude, you should start a blog and just write about your thoughts. 
Um, I took his advice, started a blog, just started writing random things. And he was like, dude, this is actually good. You should submit it somewhere. So on his best, I submitted it to goal.com. And then from there, got like a weekly column writing for like almost no money, but writing uh, about Americans abroad, uh, like just a roundup of the Americans playing in Europe on a weekly basis. Now, when I started this, I didn't, I was not able to watch like any of these players play because none, we didn't have, I didn't have the broadcast for any of them. So I would have to go and scour through either, if they had them in English, but probably foreign language like Danish, Norwegian, Swedish, wherever these guys are playing in the far corners of Europe, because this was like 2008 uh, and no one good was playing in Europe really. <laughs> uh, we had a couple guys, but like all over Scandinavia, second division, Germany, whatever, I would go and find whatever contribution they had and then write it in the most artful way possible to, be, to let you know that I read a box score. And, but this guy did this, like, I would never lie because I didn't actually watch them, but like this guy played this many minutes, did this contribution, whatever. Uh, that was me for goal.com for like a, uh, a little bit of time. And then I just kept blogging from there. But I think the, the key thing was like in writing, I kind of found a little bit of joy. And then I got into a couple, when I moved back to Chapel Hill um, in 2009, I started playing pickup around Chapel Hill with some people that I'd grown up with. And that was really, really what did it. Like pickup, getting back to playing pickup was like, full joy for me just free unfettered play like playing with people who I enjoyed playing with who were actually good and like played in a style that I enjoyed was like okay this is why I started playing the sport and I'd say probably like a year or so after college is, is when I like regained or re, yeah regained my love for actual touching the ball with my own feet and that was also coincided with when you met your wife right uh, I met her. Yeah. Like I would say I like found my joy playing. And then a few months later, she like came back from her season. Uh, she had like, she left UNC a little bit early to go pro and came back from her season to, to play and train in, in uh, Chapel Hill. And that's when I met her. Amazing. I mean, so much of your life just revolves around soccer. So it's not it surprising is, that it's literally all of it. revolves Yeah. Around this so that, that was, that was going to be my next question was like, can you describe how soccer is in your life now it is central to like actually everything like um my job is soccer um talk, talk, talk about talk about that because you're not a professional soccer player so most I people probably don't know a soccer player i cover the sport I don't, I don't i don't like to call myself a journalist but i just say i cover the sport in a comprehensive manner um i work for cbs full-time um I also am the, I guess now the only English speaking host for La Liga um, in America. And yeah, I do a lot of other things on the side, a lot of freelance stuff, just like I just am in the soccer space. Like, <laughs> but basically talking about soccer is your, is your life. I talk for, about soccer for like for a job, yes. For fun and for a job, like it never turns off. <laughs> my wife is my wife is a former professional, uh, former national team player who is now the GM of Gotham FC, um, and 
also started a soccer tech training company uh, that she is the CEO of. My, exactly. We got a shout out tech Techni Football by by shout out Techni Football. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think what other soccer related it's, things. It's astonishing yeah, to me that you that you somehow related. met a partner who out out soccered you in some way. It's really, really all the ways, insane. but it's yeah, <laughs> like it's actually insane. Like she's she's probably the only person on this earth that I like could have done that going. <laughs> but yeah, she's still every time like I do something, she like out soccers me like. Uh, I did a, a piece uh, with Venezia FC that like, uh, sorry, is it FC? Yeah, Venezia that like went, went over really well. And then she like took the job as the Gotham GM. And I was like, all right, well, there, there's my shine. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny though. She will always one up me and I kind of love it. That's great. That's great. I did want to ask you about that because I'm just curious what it's been like for you mixing your passion with your career and with your family and your home life and your work life and what that's done to your passion or, or, yeah, or, what, think, or what that relationship looks like, I guess. Yeah. Uh, after, so after I moved back to, to Chapel Hill in 2009 to work for soccer.com <laughs> uh, <clears throat> And in like I forgot I forgot that I was your intern, Aaron. Yeah, yeah. How about that? Um, so I worked there, but I hated it because it like had nothing to do with soccer. All we did is basically go to um, youth soccer tournaments and and set up merch tents, which is very useful for the largest in the largest scheme of things, scheme of things for a retail company, but had was not my passion in the slightest. So I left that job. After I left that job, I like bounced around a bunch of random, basically, so usually social media focused, but like I, I did a bunch, I worked a random, bunch of random jobs and every single one, I like, all I did was like surf the internet and read about soccer. And I could not get, I would try and focus on whatever the task was at hand. Couldn't do it because all I would, would think about constantly was soccer. And it got to the point where I was like, I like, if I don't work in soccer, something is like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, but yeah, I would say it's, it's, it's not even part of my life. It is like a singular passion that kind of engulfs my entire life and everything kind of fits around it. Um, it's, I don't think, no, I, I know I couldn't have married anyone who like doesn't love the sport, or at least in some way. Uh, so it's, it's, it's very nice that it worked out for me because <laughs> it could have been pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. I would, would say that would say the same. Yeah. What, what role did social media play in you finding a path for yourself that actually allowed you to make soccer your career? Like massive, uh, when I discovered Twitter, it was like a literal portal opened to another world. Uh, I picked uh, I picked Juventus as my team when I was 12. And so for years, I, I would go without meeting another Juve fan, like talking to anyone about that, like the team that I had picked to love. Um, so when I discovered Twitter, I discovered like English language Juve fans, and it was like heaven for me. And that's 
when I discovered Twitter, I discovered English like UVA fans and like the discourse around it was like when I decided I want to start writing because I like I uh, there's I don't know the exact quote, but Orson Scott Card, who wrote Ender's Game, talks about how you decide to start writing. It's like you either read some incredible writing that inspires you or you read some writing that's so bad. You're like, I can do that. I can do way better. So it was kind of a little bit of both for me. I started to read some writing that was fantastic, that inspired me. And then I saw some other stuff that was getting read and like passed around. I was like, this is absolute foolishness. This cannot stand. So I just started writing. Um, but being able to like have regular discussions with not just UVA fans, but soccer fans around the world, like really empowered me to like, to that I knew something about this sport, basically. Like I felt like I knew something, but I was never so presumptive to be like, I know something. So for me, Twitter was just like, hey, this is my opinion, I'm gonna say it. And then I get to discuss it with other people who I feel like know, know what they're talking about. And then when my opinions seemed valid and kept being validated by people who I respected, I was like, oh, there's a space for me here. So it just kept growing from that. And then like Twitter is a literal megaphone to the entire world. So it it, it grew from that, like Twitter-ish fame came from there and it just kind of spiraled. It's pretty wild because I just remember in my head, obviously it, it sounds so much more uh, nuanced the way you describe your career development. But in my head, it's like Aaron just shit talks everything live happening in the soccer world on Twitter. And then there's just a straight line to you, you know, covering the sport full time as a, <laughs> some form of a journalist. Obviously it's much more complicated than that. Yeah, it is. It's funny. Like, I think my, my favorite thing now is like, I'll get random DMs from, from players and they're like, yo, that shit is funny as hell. I can't retweet it. I can't like it, but that shit is funny as hell. Um, that's, that's my favorite thing. Cause I, I have a, I have a pretty good relationship with a lot of national team players. So like, and that's another one of my favorite things is just to see the like green close friends pop up on Instagram. I'm like, Oh, they trust me. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> yeah. I, what, so what's that been like for you? Obviously, as you've described essentially as super fan of the sport, now you're up close and personal with these guys, some of whom are so much younger than you now who you know are the biggest names in at least u.s soccer so what's that been like for you to go from essentially idolizing these guys as a fan to now engaging with them as a professional i think the key is that like i don't think i ever idolize there's like maybe four players i've idolized like phenomenal ronaldo like ronaldinho and like Zidane and Henri maybe like those are like the four guys that like I would be in awe of if I was in a room but everyone else like especially having grown up with like an athlete father being having grown up around athletes like everyone just is I and that's kind of like been my Twitter brand for a very long time it's like everyone is a human they're just a normal person who just happens to be very very good at a sport or whatever it is that they're famous for so it's it's never been I'm, I never feel really like in all it's just and everyone I talk to is just I want to know about them as a human being so that's I think why my interview style works because I just have a conversation with whoever it is and it doesn't matter like what their status is uh, I, I just want to have a conversation with them and find out what makes them tick um, it's it was I don't I don't know 
I don't even know if we're jumping forward or backwards at any point, but it was a, a cool, really cool moment for me. I just interviewed Zlatan in Milan. Um, and he is like, you get very rarely you, you get the second one, but like usually in an interview, you get Zlatan. Uh, like he is, he just will speak in third person. He'll like say ridiculous quotes. He's not very like, he won't really open up, but he was like a, just a person. Uh, in our interview, he's just a very, very real person. He's very honest. He's very open and like, it's just a, a very nice guy in general overall. But I, that, that I think is, is, I think such probably my biggest strength as an interviewer is I just, everyone just, I think feels like I treat them normally. They don't, I don't treat anyone like a celebrity or just, just a person that I'm talking to, honestly. Yeah. Getting real Zlatan seems like a pretty pretty big feather in your cap then that's pretty cool and are there any players that are sort of on your on your bucket list or is it just those those four that you mentioned that you're hoping to players paul pogba is probably top of it um yeah i would say paul pogba um killing mbappe is very high on my list um i honestly don't think i want to interview messi like i don't think he would be interesting I legitimately, I think Messi is a, probably the best footballer to ever live, but I don't think he really like has that much interesting to say. I, I think he's a footballer and not like, I'm, I don't want to like make him one dimensional, but I don't think he like, there are a lot of footballers that have some very, very interesting takes on life, but I don't think Messi is necessarily one of them. <laughs> not sure. We'll find out one day if you ever get to sit down with him. <laughs> I'm not going to turn on the interview <laughs> if it happens, but I, I just not like, he's not like on my top list of players to interview, but Paul Pogba, I feel like has Paul Pogba. Um, also Raheem Sterling, Kylian Mbappe, Romelu Lukaku, I think would be a fantastic interview just because like that dude is, he's such a, a in-depth person and he speaks so many languages and just understands so many cultures. It's like an insane thing. To, I really want to get inside his brain. Would, would you say that your strength as a soccer professional in treating these guys as normal human beings, is that just tapping into your own sort of innate curiosity or is it something else? Yeah, I think a massive part of it is just I'm curious about everything, especially in regard with regards to soccer. I'm, I just want to know, I want to know about people's backgrounds. I want to know like what I feel shaped them. I want to know what they think shaped them. I want to know about their experience. I just, I'm a very curious person and I have a, like a lot of questions that I think also get to get a lot of good answers out of people. Cause I just want to know about them. Uh, so yeah, my, my, I'm insanely curious person. And I think that has a huge part to do with it. I'm also just, that's like, I'm, I've been a soccer nerd forever. So a lot of these, it's, it's not like, it's, I just want to know soccer stuff that other soccer nerds want to know. I think, <laughs> And I also like look like these guys. So for me, it's a lot more comfortable. It's a lot easier to walk into a room and interview a player who's 24 years old than like a 45 year old white journalist. Like it legitimately is an advantage that I just look like I could be standing next to them when they line up to play. Uh, so it, it I, I have a, a leg up, I think immediately because they're just most players for the, for the most part, they're just more comfortable with me in general. Have you had any experiences where you've impressed players with your own soccer abilities? 
Yeah, actually, um, I, uh, we, we did like, we did a tour. So it's funny, like I've gotten better at soccer every year since I left Davis. <laughs> um, and so uh, a couple years ago, I think 2019, 2018, 2019, we, we were on tour in the u.s tour with manchester city so we uh we they trained out at the new york nycfc fields and i think this was maybe this after the like third stop so i had interviewed a few of the players so they already knew who i was um and there was a period after training where they were just like there there were a couple players out there phil foden raheem diaz were like out hitting long balls and i was like oh my god this is training i'm gonna run out there uh, so I went and started hitting long balls with, with Phil Foden, Brahim, uh, another one of our, my coworkers or co-hosts at the time, he Pierce, who played with the national team and like played in Europe. So he's a, obviously a very legit player. We started hitting long balls and then we, we got into a crossbar competition. Um, and I ended up losing by one to Phil Foden. Uh, I hit like four, he hit like five. Um, and then ended up getting, like we played one-on-one uh, we were just like messing around, like literally like it's just normal after training, like guys like horsing around playing one-on-one. Uh, and there's a clip that is still on the internet of Phil Foden megging the absolute hell out of me. Oh, I've seen uh, it. Yeah, yeah. So, but there's two clips actually. So the first clip, I take the ball off him, but the, that one's not going to go viral because I didn't get megged. <laughs> but like, so that was, that was a lot of fun. And like, it was, it was one of those things where I've, didn't feel out of place at all, like knocking the ball around with, with those guys. Uh, went to Dortmund um, and trained, <laughs> uh, put on their full training kit and like kicked around with some of their like little kids. They're their academy kids, but also interviewed uh, Julian were, Weigel. Were they better than you? Oh my God, yes. Their touch is so good. It's <laughs> insane. Actually, I like, I held my own in their like little passing thing and like I think got the same score as the kids, which I was okay with. Um, but I, I did like a little, uh, juggling questionnaire with Julian Weigel and then uh, Jaden Sancho and I beat Julian Weigel in it um, and then I, I lost to Jaden Sancho because the, the basically the game was you have to keep the ball up and name a rapper before you pass it back so I beat Weigel he dropped the ball um, that seems like it, a perfect game for you yeah it's, it's incredible uh, we invented the game that's why I, <laughs> But yeah, I beat Feigl and uh, lost to Sancho. But I also, like when I was with Copa 90, I, one of the things that I would do, like that was a regular segment was go out and play, like uh, uh, play against some of the pros from these teams. So I did like free kick competitions with them, like uh, Olympico competitions. So I, I got to compete against some of them and like didn't embarrass myself in any of them, which was, I, I feel like the biggest Plus, just not embarrassing myself. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I can't wait to see the drip you show up with when you get to sit down with Paul Pogba. I'm sure it will be legendary. I have to go shopping right before that one because yeah. it, it has to be unmatched. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I like to close these out before I turn it over to Stanley. I like to close this out by asking the same question each week to our guests, which is how do you define a life well lived? Um, I think a life well lived is one where you look back and say every decision I made, I made it with purest intentions and 
I don't look back with any regret on the path I've taken. Um, I'm a big believer in family and like an extremely Vin Diesel voice. Like right now, like family is like the most important thing to me. So like the fact that I do get to work in soccer is incredible. But the fact that I work from home and see my daughter, I wake up with, I wake my, like pick my daughter up every morning, uh, like out of the bed. Like I see her all day, every day, just about, I see her almost every single day. Uh, the only time I don't see her is when I travel to go to like Europe. So that for me is a life well lived and everything that I was hoping for. So I, and I have no regrets about the path that I've taken. So I, I would say that would be the long winded answer for that. You've already, you've already won. <laughs> well, with that Stanley, where, where did I miss? So I, I did have one follow-up question. You mentioned that your interest in soccer has taken many forms over the years. So playing, um, covering the sport, playing video games. Um, I don't think I heard any uh, mention of coaching. Do you have any interest in that? I tried it and hated it. Uh, I don't like another one of the reasons that I was never destined to be a pro footballer. Is like I don't really like being outdoors. I think that climate control was invented for a reason, and I love whoever did that. I don't like bugs. I don't like being cold for extended periods of time. Um, I also am a very impatient person in a lot of ways. Um, and both, so I tried it, like, I, I would say, I think it was, it was like 2014, 20. Yeah, like 2014, 2015, I was a coach for, for a couple of years. And if, if I hadn't gotten the offer to be a writer in 2016, I would have probably kept going down that path because it was the only thing I saw that kept me in soccer, around soccer, and that I didn't absolutely hate, like the thing that I least hated. <laughs> but I, I really don't, I'm an impatient person. I, I don't necessarily... I don't enjoy being outdoors. I don't like the path that you have to take in the US for coaching. Like you have to coach a lot of kids that don't necessarily want to be there or care that much about the sport before you get to coach the kids that care. Uh, and I really, really hated the, the, the length of the path that I felt like it was going to take to get to like really train like kids that I, I felt like really, really want to be there. Um, and I just, I, I, coaching's not for me overall. <laughs> I also hate the parents like soccer parents as a coach, just in general, just soccer parents are some of the worst people on the planet. So many, a, many factors I, prohibited me from that path, but it, it could have been the path I went on if I hadn't. Otherwise, otherwise you would have done it, Stanley. <laughs> <laughs> otherwise. Yeah. Literally, if I hadn't, if I hadn't gotten the call to be a writer, I would be a miserable coach right now. <laughs> Actually, by now, I probably would be in the place I'd want, but it would have been a, a few tough years. Do you think you'll coach your, you said your daughter, right? Yes. You can go coach your absolutely daughter. Absolutely not. I, I do not want to in the slightest. Uh, if I like absolutely have to, my wife and I have talked about it. I think she would probably be more likely to do it, but I do not want to at all. <laughs> I'll take it to every practice. I will, if she wants to train, uh, I will help her train. Absolutely. But if I'm not going to be the head coach of her team. <laughs> All right. All right. So then the next section is called overrated underrated. We're going to throw out 
a word or a phrase or an idea and you tell us if you think it's overrated or underrated. Do I get to um, explain myself afterwards? You, you can if you want, yeah. Okay. Or you can say appropriately rated too. Um, getting a red card after scoring a goal. Underrated. Marrying a better soccer player than you. Well, very much underrated. Being a dad. Underrated. Dad swag. Overrated. It's it's just comfortable clothes. <laughs> uh, American soccer. Uh, I think appropriately rated right now. I think people are starting to respect us, but we don't have too much respect because we don't deserve it. And out of curiosity, how, how did you define American soccer in your mind? Is it a certain level? Um, I think I was thinking overall men's soccer, women's soccer, uh, youth programs, just, I think of it like in a weird capsule right now when you ask that question. <laughs> uh, fresh sneakers. Uh, overrated now. I think the sneaker game is dead and I hate it. I like, I think resellers and the like chase for hype has really, really killed the sneaker game. Fresh cleats. Overrated. I haven't like looked at new boots in a while. I used to care about them so much, but now I just have like the ones that I wear and I love. So overrated. Yeah. But if your 12 year old self could hear you say that you would be so upset. I'd be sick. I'd be sick right now. <laughs> uh, Zip obviously mentioned you're a little bit of a shit talker online. So I wanted to ask shit talking on the pitch. Uh, overrated. All right. Ted Lasso. Overrated. Because I love Ted Lasso, but people make it out to be like the next coming. And it's a great show. It's it's got a lot of very very positive aspects, but like it's it's not the greatest show on earth. Like people need to relax. Sambas. Uh, underrated, extremely underrated. Still. Twitter. Well overrated. Viral memes of your dog. <laughs> Always underrated. <laughs> Harry Potter. Overrated. People need to grow up. <laughs> All right. That's where we're going to end it. Zip. Nice. Aaron, we, we like to end with one, uh, one banger of a would you rather question. So I'm going to hit you with a tough one here. You ready? I'm ready. I, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. It's not that hard. Would you rather always have to wear soccer boots for shoes or never be able to wear them even when you're playing? Uh, never, because I just wear flats. I'm, I'm very fond of wear flats. All right. There you have it. Aaron, thanks so much for, for coming on, man. This is so much fun. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Man. Of course.